Hi, welcome to the Bella Podcast. Today we are speaking about business success and Ayurveda with Vish. Vish is an author. He's an executive, an entrepreneur, a yogi, and he's also a business success coach and life coach. So today we will be discussing his new book, The Business Casual Yogi. Without further ado, here is Vish. How are you today, Vish? I'm doing well. I'm really excited to be on your podcast. Thank you so much. I'm excited to have you. I really appreciate you coming and being a part of this podcast and sharing your knowledge and your grace and your and your being. So today we're talking about business mindset. We are talking about how to uh, be successful in business through yogic and Ayurvedic principles. So I want to first talk to you and ask you, uh, what's your background? Well, I, uh, I'm of Indian origins. Both my mother and father are originally from India, but I was born in Hong Kong and uh, grew up in a very Western kind of mindset in my family. And uh, when I was about 15, we moved to Canada and then I got into university in the U.S. So I came to the U.S. to actually study and went down the engineering path. So I studied mechanical engineering. I worked in the auto industry, you know, as an engine engineer working on cars. And then I went back to school, did my master's in, uh, in business, did an MBA from University of Michigan, and then went into the management ranks of the auto industry. And did that all the way till about 10 years ago when I switched out of automotive into the tech industry and uh, started some uh, pretty large uh, revenue divisions at a company called Belkin. And then went to another tech company and helped uh, quintuple their stock price in a couple of years. So I was kind of heavy on the business side, sort of enjoying the you know executive leadership lifestyle. And then um, decided that I, I, I wanted to do something bigger with my life. And I got into the startup world. So I started a tech company with a, with a colleague. We built up the company to early revenue. And in the fire of the startup world, I uh, realized that my true calling wasn't to be a startup entrepreneur and to be a CEO of some company that I created, but really was to go deeper into the yoga world. And so I left about three years ago and went deeper into my Vedic studies, which I'd always been practicing. I'd always been a yogi, you know, a yoga practitioner and a meditator for you know, the past 20 years. But three years ago, really took it more seriously, went into studying it deeper. And uh, now I do executive coaching, business coaching, life coaching. And combining this Western management style thinking and my experiences in the Western business world, but combining them with the Vedic traditions of Ayurveda, yoga, um, Vedanta, the Vedic philosophy, as well as uh, Vedic astrology, which has been something that's been very, very powerful tool to help uh, people on their journey. That's very fascinating. <laughs> Wonderful. And you have a wealth of knowledge. Now, you also have a book out. I do. So I, uh, I met, um, it's kind of, kind of a, a fascinating story, which, which is explained in the book, but I met a Himalayan yogi about 20 years ago. I went on a, a trek through the Himalayas, uh, fell off a mountain, got hurt, crawled my way to safety, and through a series of circumstances, ended up meeting this Himalayan yogi in Rishikesh, uh, who became a very dear friend of mine. And his name is also Vish. So his... His name is Yogrishi Vishwaketu, and my full name is Vishwajit. And so these two Vishes, we kind of met, formed a friendship, became very close friends over the years. 
And I'd always been his business advisor as he was becoming a well-known yogi internationally. And meanwhile, he was always my yoga teacher and yoga spiritual guide in a way. And uh, I used to assist him at yoga festivals. So he came to, uh, to L.A. He'd come every year in the fall to teach at Bhakti Fest, one of the biggest yoga festivals in, in, uh, in the West. And uh, it was at a Bhakti Fest that I had an idea, like, what if we partnered together to write something to help make yoga more accessible to the average working person? And so I pitched him on the idea. I said, look, I'll do I'll do the writing. You're the, you know, the authentic Himalayan yogi. And I've been a practitioner of yoga, but we can try and take these deep, esoteric, ancient teachings and really bring them in a very accessible form for the modern world. And he said, yeah, I like the idea. Let's do it. And so we pitched a publisher. They liked the idea. And uh, we ended up signing a, a deal to do a book. And I ended up writing a book called The Business Casual Yogi. So The Business Casual Yogi, uh, the subtitle is Take Charge of Your Body, Mind, and Career, kind of a play on the body, mind, spirit. But the idea is that how do we use these very powerful teachings from the Vedic tradition around yoga and Ayurveda and the Vedic philosophy and apply them in a context for the modern world, like, you know, working, traveling, raising a family, um, you know, professional endeavors, you know, being in like, for instance, you're in the dance world and the fitness world. And how do we apply these things to help us perform better in whatever work we are doing in this world? Uh, so it is called the business casual yogi because it was sort of a catchy title for people that wear business casual clothes to work every day, but deep inside are really yogis. But it doesn't really matter what the business you're in, whatever the business of life is, uh, yoga offers really powerful tools to improve that um, that life. It absolutely does. And a, a lot of people think that yoga and all of these theories are are really spiritual theories and you have to, like you mentioned, go into the Himalayas, be a be a yogi and a renunciate and but there are other other options. You don't have to do that. That your book mentions is to be able to live in this world, to be a householder, to be a business person. And I think one of the most fascinating things is these theories, these practices are very, very simple, but are profound in nature, and they can do a lot for you. What are some of the things that you discuss in your book that help someone who is a business person or someone who is trying to improve their performance what would you say that you would suggest to them? Well, we're all born into our life circumstances for some bizarre, strange reason that's very hard to explain, right? So why is it that we're born into the family we're born into, into the parents we're born into, into the, children, the, the siblings that we have? Uh, why is it that we end up having an aptitude or a skill towards certain things? Why are we good at some things, not good at other things? So there's all these sort of, different reasons that we're born. And some of us are born to contribute to society in a very um, obvious way. Like we, we, have, we do work and we do work to help society through our work. And others are born to be renunciates, to be sort of away from everything. And, you know, as soon as somebody starts getting deep into yoga, they think, oh, I need to run away to a cave. I need to be alone and just do my spiritual journey. But that no, may not be their life path. 
And uh, Yogrishi Vishwaketu, the, the co-author on the book with me, he wanted to be that. He was like, look, he, he was born into an Indian family. He wanted to live in the caves in the Himalayas. He sort of went and lived in the caves and did his deep internal practice called sadhana, where he just you know, did meditation and yoga practice daily away from everybody. And he met a spiritual teacher. Um, and this spiritual teacher said to him, you know, when, when he was sort of, sort of coming of age in a way, uh, Vishwaketu said, well, I, I just want to go and be in the caves and do my yoga practice and go deeper inwards. And his teacher said to him, no, that's not your path. You will be a teacher of teachers. You will be a teacher of teachers. Your path is not to run away. Your path is to be in the world and help spread these teachings. And so it was quite a um, difficult for him because he's, he was struggling with this. You know, I want to be a renunciate. I want to be away. And he still has that tendency these days of just wanting to be away. But his path is really to be in the world and share. And so we all have to evaluate what is it that we're here to do. And I felt, you know, my path very strongly was to be in the business world and to be the CEO of a company and run a big business. And I had the education and the credentials and the experience to go that path. But um, through deep sort of meditation and, and yoga practice and, of course, meeting very enlightened people along the way, I realized that isn't my path. Um, in one case, I and, you know, it, it's interesting as you do yoga practices, you do these uh, sort of self-awareness cultivation, you start to have these random encounters and meetings with people where you sort of delivered messages and, and the more of these messages start to come to you. And one of them was when Yogrishi Vishwaketu came to LA to teach at the, at the Bhakti Fest. And he said, oh, this uh, woman wants to invite us over for dinner. You know, do you want to go to dinner? And I, I was like, who is this person? And he said, oh, her, she's a friend of mine. Her name is Gurmukh. I'm like, oh, you mean Gurmukh? Like the famous Gurmukh Kasa, like very well-known Kundalini yoga teacher. She she was a teacher to Madonna and Michael Jackson and all these famous people. She opened one of the earliest yoga studios. I'm like, she's not just some random person. This is a major celebrity. Of course, let's go to dinner. Of course. So he said, okay. So we you know, get all you know dressed up in nice Indian clothes. My wife comes along and we go to this fancy mansion in the Hollywood Hills of one of Gurmukh's uh, disciples. And we're at this very nice dinner. The drummer for Krishna Das is there. The, uh, you know, the CEO of Wanderlust is there, all these like very celebrity yogis. And they're all listening to Yogrishi Vishwaketu tell all these stories and they're just enthralled with this Himalayan yogi. And Gurmukh then, you know, meets me and says, oh, Vish, nice to meet you. Uh, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I run business. I'm an executive. I run companies. I'm, I'm starting up a company right now. And I'm a, you know, tech guy. And she looked at me like I was a kid in the first grade giving the wrong answer in school. She just kind of wagged her finger at me. She said, how come you're not teaching? Why don't you teach? You must be teaching. Your path is that of a teacher. You have so much wisdom and so many gifts to offer. You must share those gifts with the world. And I just felt like she reached into my soul and like chiropractically adjusted me because I I was like, wait a minute, have I do, been doing the wrong thing this whole time? And she went off to get another helping of food and moved on away to the, to the next guest. And I was sitting there just sort of, you know, flabbergasted. And it didn't hit for a couple of years later where it really, you know, clicked into my mind that, oh, wait a minute, you know, what am I doing? And, you know, a lot of things started to orient magically in my life, started moving towards a teaching path. And now that I'm deeper in my yoga practice, deeper in my meditation practice, and also Vedic astrologer, when I look at my chart, it's obvious that I'm here to teach and to share this wisdom.
I just didn't know it at the time. I was sort of fighting a different path. And so what I try to share in the book is this idea that it's not about making a drastic change in your life, but it's about a regular daily practice where you do a little bit of connection to your deeper self. A little bit of yoga practice, moving the energy through your body, a little bit of meditation practice, and on a constant basis you do it, you just start to tune in and become more aware of signals in your life that help you live in a more purposeful and aligned way with the reason why you're here. And, you know, it's very easy to sort of fight all those things, but as you tune into it more, you start to understand those clues, and you tune into those clues, and you start to little by little orient towards a more powerful path. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And I know in my own journey, starting to 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 look at these small things that we do on an everyday basis and be mindful and think about what it is we're feeling and the qualities relating to those. They've changed the way I look and the way I act and everything that happens in my life. Um, one of the things that I know I struggle with, and I'm sure most everyone struggles with, is the constant hustle and bustle in life and all the all the things that are um, expected of one person especially in the business world or in any type of any type of um, place you're in but what are some of the things that help you um, tone in hone in on some of the some of the practices and help you when you are so busy yeah, I actually had a heading in one of the in one of the chapters of the book that was about you know how distracted we are, how distracted we are in day in, in daily life, and one of the t- subtitles was "Moving so fast we miss what's right here," and that's the thing is you know it doesn't really matter what type of work you're in, what type of vocation or profession you're in. This world expects a lot of us, and with technology with the you know, amazing way we have to communicate with so many people on a regular basis, whether it's social media or texting or email or, or interactions with people, we're overwhelmed. And so we become very busy. We find that even though we have all these technologies, we're less efficient, less productive, and just more busy. And we feel like the more we do, the more successful we, we will be. And so we keep doing and doing and doing. And we start to forget that actually it's slowing down that makes you more successful. It's being able to really read a situation that makes you more successful. So for instance, a business, we all know the busy executive that's going, 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 and they're barely present for a conversation, right? Their day is full of meetings. They sit in a meeting and half the time they're on their phone and they're not really there. And then wrong decisions happen. Things have to be redone. And it's like this mess of a situation where productivity has actually gone down. Innovation goes down because people are so distracted. So when people ask me, you know, how do I innovate better? How do I come up with new breakthrough ideas? How do I hit that another level of performance in my life? It's actually about slowing down. So being able to, in a disciplined way, make more space in your day to slow down. And when you slow down, you actually achieve more. So it's sort of this paradox that people are always chasing. If I do more, I'm going to be more successful. But all doing more does is makes you more, more busy. And you don't actually move forward. And if we slow down, we actually move forward in leaps and bounds. And so, you know, if you think about uh, dance even, it's something where 
the more present you are, the better you perform. You know, uh, an Olympic level athlete that I have some friends that are that are Olympic level athletes that I talked about in the book. It's the space and the quiet and the calm and the visualization of winning that actually helps them perform at a high level. It's not just busyness and going, going, going all the time. And so yoga is a system. It's a system of techniques that help you become more present. They help you naturally slow down and they they improve your ability to assess when you're doing too much. So you start to notice in yourself, wait a minute, I'm doing too much and I need to slow it down so that you can have these regular moments of quiet that end up allowing you to have more breakthrough innovation in your life. Absolutely. Now, there's also included in some of those techniques, there are the breath and the thought and the movements. How can the breath and the thought and being present and slowing our minds down, what can we do to do that? What are some of the techniques that you talk about? So in yoga, they talk about these eight limbs of yoga. And there's sort of these you know, yamas and niyamas, which are guidelines for living. And then it gets into pranayama, which is breath, asana, which is movement of the body. And then it gets into focused concentration on one thing, which moves you into meditation. And so really there's there's... To me, there's the lifestyle guidelines are one thing, the personal guidelines, the lifestyle guidelines. But then there's a ladder in a way of using the breath, using the body, and then using the mind, and then coming to focus, and then coming to quiet. And not everybody's ready for deep meditation. Not everybody has that ability. So you sort of cultivate it along the way. So for some people, just doing aware breathing exercises is their meditation. For some people, it's the movement of their body. And just by moving their body in certain ways, that becomes a meditation. And if you put them all together, then you start coming to yoga, which is breath work and body work and meditation work coming together, sort of taking you to that quiet place. And what we're trying to find is the the space, the interstitial space between the thoughts. We're thinking, we're thinking, we're thinking, but in between our thoughts, there's a very, very quiet moment of no thought. It's a moment where any new thought could happen. It's as Deepak Chopra says, it's a moment between thoughts that is filled with infinite potential because any possible thought could come out of that. And so the more time you spend in that space between thoughts, the more you access your inner potential, your inner innovation ability, your inner creativity. And so how do we cultivate that space between the thoughts? Well, we distract the mind and sometimes you can use breath techniques. You can use yoga asanas, yoga postures, or use formal meditation techniques, which basically cultivate that space. And so it's a combination of those. But of course, some people say, look, I don't want to move my body that way. And I just want to meditate. And some people say, I can't meditate. My mind is too hyper. So you move them to body practices. And the body practice does that. Um, Or somebody says, look, I'm not ready to move my body that way. Then breathing exercise, just a very simple breathing technique. I post this. I have a... uh, a Facebook page for the Business Casual Yogi and an Instagram account around the Business Casual Yogi. And every now and then I just post something very simple about a, you know, here's a simple breathing technique of a full three-part yogi breath. And people just love it. They're like, oh my gosh, I'm sleeping better. Just one little simple breathing technique and they're sleeping better or they're finding less stress because sometimes people need a very simple way to just slow down. You know, a yogi like yourself, you're complicated. You're like, 
well, I do this pose and I do that pose and I do this breath technique and then I add in this and then I eat this diet and I eat these herbs for my Ayurveda knowledge. And you have this very complex system of being in tune with your body and its needs and the environment. But sometimes something very simple as a simple breath awareness meditation technique or simple deep breathing exercise does wonders because we start tapping into that silence. And that silence is where the innovation is cultivated from. Absolutely. The silence is the space, uh, the space in which all things are possible. And I fully have experienced that and agree with that as well. And I've noticed in my own practice that when I'm silent, I also move to different levels of awareness. I become more understanding of certain things that are happening in my life and why they're happening in my life. What are some of the things that you've noticed going through your life that, that you see is lacking in, or where people need to focus a little bit more on besides being in the silence? You've talked about that. That's one thing. What would you say is something that you've noticed being in the business world where, where people are, are, let's say, distracted the most? Well, I think, you know, people pride themselves on being hard workers to the point of becoming workaholics. And I think that's one of the things that in any field you look at, it's not just the business world, people overwork. They, they, they think if they work more, work more hours, do more work, they'll move forward and be more successful. And they end up burning out. And I think we see incredible amounts of burnout in our society and ex extreme mental health challenges that people face. I'm called into companies quite often to give talks on mental health. And because companies are facing mental health crises in their, in their ranks of their employees, and they don't know what to do about it because people just overwork. I think that's a big part of it. The stresses, the expectations, the... I talk a lot about the, the cycle of income where people make more money. They think, okay, in order to maintain, they make more money, they spend more money. And then when they spend more money, they're like, if I don't keep my job, I'm going to lose my lifestyle. And it creates this situation where people just overdo it. And so one of the things that I talk about in the book is how to think about your life in a more holistic way from a financial planning point of view, from a budgeting point of view. Like how can I have a lifestyle where my income needs are not so great that I have to overwork in order to support that. It's really thinking big picture. It's like if I if I make $100 and I go spend 120 of those dollars, I'm going to have to keep working in order to make it all work. So if I earn $100, what about I spend 50 of it and keep the other 50 or, or 40 or 30 of it as buffer so that I don't have to end up in this crazy rat race in order to keep my income security. So I think that's the first step is really thinking strategically about your life and your income and your spending. So it's you know, like you call it yogic budgeting. But then the other thing is within work, you know, people are so overworked that there's no time for recovery. And eventually the body gives up. You know, as an athlete, you can imagine if you just keep taxing the body, taxing the body, and you don't allow the body to heal, you're not going to be at the peak of your performance. So you have periods of intense training and then you rest and you let the muscles recover and grow and get stronger 
and you feed the muscles in an appropriate way. So the next time you perform, you're at peak performance. You know, like when you have a competition, you don't train the day of the competition like crazy. It's not going to work. And so the same analogy applies to a, a working person. It's knowledge work. It's the brain that's doing the work, the brain that's being exercised. If you keep pushing and pushing and pushing, never give the brain a time to recover. It can't perform at that level. And so you'll notice in very successful people in the business world, they have regular periods of rest. They don't overwork. Um, if you look at very successful leaders, you come into their office, there's an air of calm about them. There's a sense of calm. And they have these regular activities they do to build calm into their lives. And, you know, there's ways to do it. You go for a walk, you go play golf, you go do whatever hobby you want. Um, meditation is one of the ways to do it in a very small amount of time. It's a very compact high efficiency way of giving the brain a rest. And so I look at yoga and meditations as these very high return on, on time investment tools where you do a little bit of work and it has amazing calming recovery effect for your brain so that when you then go back to work, you can also sense if you're overworking and limit that, but also work in a more efficient, aware way. That is very, very true. Absolutely. Because being efficient does not mean more. It means quality over quantity. And I think that is something that we all get confused about because we are in this society that has access to everything. The traditional walls that were there before are not there now. We can, we're, we can have in almost anything immediately. And that is both good and bad. It has its, its positive and its negative. And I completely agree with you. <clears throat> now, along those notes about person and what we can do and slowing down, thinking about the space in between thoughts and creating um, more mindful actions, how does all of that, how does society, how does the world, how does You've mentioned Vedic astrology, and Vedic astrology has to do with the planetary alignments and all of that. And how does that come into play with where we are? Because sometimes certain time frames in our life, we're more fluctuating than others. Yeah, I mean, it all comes into trying to align better. So I live here in Southern California, and we have a, a pretty large surfing culture. And I decided to try and surf. Obviously, when I moved out here 10, 11 years ago, the executives of my company, instead of being golfers, they're all surfers. So, you know, and back in the Midwest, you, the business meeting happens on the golf course. Here it happens in the ocean. And so I would go out and try and learn how to surf. And you see the wave coming and you start paddling. And the, the idea is that you paddle the surfboard. And when the wave comes, you know, at the right time, you sort of stop paddling. The wave just carries you. And as the board gets stable and the wave carries you, you pop up in the board and you enjoy a nice ride on a wave. And I found that I was always paddling at the wrong time. I'm paddling like crazy and the wave misses me. It gets past me or it gets behind me. And I just get crushed by the wave, knocked off the board, sent to the bottom of the ocean. And it took me, you know, I just kept trying and trying and fighting it. And then I would notice that most of the really good surfers would just, they'd arrive, they'd get in their wetsuit, they'd get their board. And they just sit on the beach and look out at the waves. They just stare at the ocean for a while. And I'd be like, what are you guys doing? Why don't you, you got this limited amount of time. Why don't you go surf? And they're just observing and watching. And then what would happen is they'd paddle out there between the breaks. They wouldn't paddle it through the crazy waves. I was getting bashed and 
you know, battered as I was trying to paddle out. They'd find the right moment. They'd paddle out very easily. They'd sit out there. They'd enjoy the water, enjoy the sun, enjoy the, the view of the mountains in the distance. And then the, when the wave would come, you'd see just a few paddles and the wave would just carry them. And we had these long rides back into shore. I think, what is, oh, they're aligning. They're really paying attention and trying to align to take advantage of the wave's energy rather than fighting it. And so that's the thing that yoga does for you is it starts to help you tune in to when is the wave at your back? When is the wave going to carry you? So you have the least amount of effort for the most reward. And what I found, what Vedic astrology does, it helps you understand what are the energies that play in your life at different times and when is the right time to take advantage of a certain wave. Look, you can go after any wave you want. It's just how hard do you want to work to get that wave? You're willing to just paddle like crazy and get bashed along the wave? Go ahead. That's your choice. But if you have some insight into what is the right timing of that wave, it just helps you make the right decision at the right time, put the right amount of work in at the right time, so that with the least amount of effort, you have the most propulsion. And so that's what I start to see as, you know, in, in my, my work, I'm a coach. I do executive coaching, business coaching, and life coaching. And I combine the yoga tradition, the Vedic tradition, the Ayurveda tradition, the Vedic astrology tradition, and really help people become more in tune with different energies that play in their lives. As you know, with Ayurveda, the same diet isn't the right thing for every single person. You have to know what is your energy? What were you born with? What are the pre-existing tendencies that you have? And you start to align your diet, your schedule, your lifestyle, your decision-making, your choices, your type of work. You start to align that with the natural forces that play in your life. Absolutely. I think that is one of the things that um, it's almost like having a parent trying to guide you along the way or some sort of a, a mentor or something trying to guide you along the way and you have that within society and within life and within nature nature will show you certain times or certain um, energy as you mentioned that help guide you along a certain way and that the uh, again back to the quality versus quantity we're looking to get to a place that necess that isn't necessarily how hard you work to get there, but it's that you got there in the journey along the way. And it doesn't have to be hard, or it doesn't have to be um, so much bashing around and so much um, issues when you when you take steps. Now. Personally, I want to talk to you a little bit personally about some of your goals and some of your dreams and the things that you are passionate about. What is it that, that you are passionate about? Well, I got hook, line, and sinker infatuated with Vedic astrology. That was something which, um, you know, was, was very strange in my life. When I, uh, when I was growing up, you know, we thought of astrologers as these kind of cuckoo, wacko, strange people. And, you know, I'd look at, an I'd, I'd look at astrology and I'd what is this crazy, woo-woo, odd stuff? You would have, um, you know, for instance, I would, somebody would tell me, oh, I went and got, I met an astrologer and the astrologer told me this and that. I'm like, this is crazy, wacko stuff. Like, how can you believe in this stuff? This is strange. And, you know, I, I was educated as an engineer, so I'm 
you know, very calculating and engineering and, you know, what's the logic, what's the science there? Does this make sense? And so I kind of dismissed it all as sort of this hocus pocus stuff. And it, I was studying Ayurveda, which to me, Ayurveda seemed like a science, like so Ayurveda makes sense. Like you, you have these different uh, constitutions and different proclivities and you adjust your diet based on that. And there's a sort of very logical scientific approach with Ayurveda that helps you align better in terms of your eating choices, your dietary choices, your health um, with your pre-existing um, you know, constitution. So as I was studying Ayurveda, there's a, a very well-known teacher, Dr. Suhas, who's an Ayurvedic physician. So I was studying with him and I was seeing clients at the time I, and I would, I would have a client come to my office and I would give them a questionnaire and say, okay, fill out this questionnaire. And based on this questionnaire, I would try and identify the Vata, Pitta, or Kapha, these three constitutions to Ayurveda. And what I would find is because I had a lot of business clients that either small business owners or very motivated type A personalities, everybody would fill out the questionnaire and the answer always came out as Pitta. This sort of fiery, go get it done, make it happen, I'm a type A personality. And I'm looking at the person in front of me and my intuition is saying, I think they're a Vata. And I can see a Vata sort of body in front of me, the way they interact is Vata or a Kapha you know, a Kapha kind of personality, but everybody's answering Pitta. And I'm like, this doesn't make sense. How can everybody be answering? They're they're sort of like changing their answers to be this ideal that they all want to be, which is the type A, go get them kind of leader. So I asked Dr. Suhas, like what, you know, this is very confusing. Everybody's coming out as Pitta, but I know they're not. Is there another way I can really evaluate their pre-existing constitution known as the dosha? And he said, well, you can always look at their astrology chart. I'm like, oh, here we go again. What is this astrology chart? He's, I respect him, and he knows what he's doing. And he looked at my chart and said, okay, I've, 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 this is what you are. I'm like, that's exactly right. And so he taught me a way to look into a Vedic astrology chart based on the time of birth and the snapshot of the planets in the heavens, the time they're born, and the influences on the first half of the chart end up giving a very accurate picture of somebody's dosha. So I thought, oh, wow, and I started using it. And sure enough, a client would fill out the questionnaire and they would self-select as Pitta. But what I was seeing in front of me was Vata. And when I looked at the chart, it backed up my intuition. That, you know what? It was actually a Vata client. And as it asked some questions, it would further prove that the chart was actually a very good ground zero of what is their constitution. So then I started respecting Vedic astrology a little bit more. And then I started to think, well, if I can figure out somebody's body constitution and mental uh, alignment from the chart, what else can I do with the chart? And that's what opened up this whole world, starting to be able to see the energies that play at different times in their life. I was able to accurately say, you know, hey, what happened in 1983 with your mother? And like, oh my God, how did you know that? I'd say, oh, it looks like you've got some uh, issues with digestion. Oh, how would you know that? You know, and so I was able to start to read and see things in a very logical way in the chart that start to explain the challenges that people were having in their lives. I was able to you know, see when they got promoted at work or when they have a potential stock appreciation in, in shares that they hold in the company they work for. And so it started to become a very powerful tool for insight to ask the right questions as a coach. And I started to find that Vedic astrology is actually very scientific in its approach. There's a lot of logic and it leveraged a lot of my uh, engineering training to try and decode and, and assess and understand the strength that a person comes into this life with, the weaknesses they have, the opportunities they have. In business, we call it a SWOT analysis. So it's sort of a strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats analysis, but using the chart as another insight into somebody's life. 
Um, so that has become something I've become very passionate about. I've been diving deeper and deeper into it, finding a lot of joy as I help people understand their what's going on in their life. Um, and it's surprising. I'm, I'm every time I'm surprised. I'm like, oh, is that? I, I can't believe I saw that. You know, <laughs> I'll, I'll read somebody's chart and I'll say, you know, oh, it looks like uh, you know next month there's going to be um, some health challenges coming up, and sure enough, a month comes by and that starts to happen. I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe that really correlates like that. Um, so I still have some skepticism, but I'm being proven wrong with my skepticism every time I, year after year, as I do, uh, you know, hundreds of charts for people. That is fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. I myself am delving into it just now, and I think it's fascinating as well. It correlates so much so with everything that Ayurveda speaks of and everything that yoga speaks of and then your life journey and time and place and all of that. And I think it's very relevant. And Chris, the thing is, like a lot of these traditions have sort of gotten messed up along the way. So, you know, for instance, the Western astrology system sort of came along, you know, thousands of years later, they came up with their own system. And, you know, I think Western astrologers do a really good job, but I think they use a lot of intuition to make up for what is mathematically not correct. So when a Western astrologer tells you, oh, Mars is located in this location in the sky, if you ask an astronomer, they're going to say, no, it's not in that position in the sky at all. So they, they, they're using a mathematical calculation of the location of the planets. They're actually different to the real location in space. Um, and so that was one of the things that I first learned in Vedic astrology is the mathematics of the degree of position a planet is in the sky in Vedic astrology lines up with the Western astronomer. It's accurate per astronomy. And so, you know, you start to realize like things have drifted over time. Even the yoga tradition or the Ayurvedic tradition over time, like some people sort of misuse it and misrepresent it and, you know, and they sort of muddy it up. And yoga became this physical gymnastics thing in the Western world. And Ayurveda, even in India, was subjugated by the British and thought of this backwater, backwater, back, you know, small village medicine for uneducated, ignorant people, not for wealthy, educated people go to Western medicine in, in India. That's the way it was looked at. And so I feel like now we're starting to revive and really understand the original root of these traditions and realize that they're very powerful and very intelligent and very elegant and very sophisticated. And so part of what I feel my, my purpose and my job is here in, in this lifetime is to go to the root, go to the traditions, use the intelligence that I've been given to really understand, okay, what is the original teaching here? And then extracting from that what is relevant for today's society and then delivering it in a very simple, approachable way. And so that's been the goal with the Business Casual Yogi, with the book, for instance, is going to the source of the Himalayan masters like, like Yogi Shivishwakate do and extracting from that what is the pearl of wisdom that's relevant for the modern day person. And let me explain it in a way that makes sense to them. What does the modern person want? I want balance. I want success. I want happiness. Okay, well, here's a systematic approach to cultivate that in your life. You're going to be happier. You're going to be more balanced. And as a byproduct, you're going to have some success. And so that's how I deliver it. But ultimately, the teachings are true to the original form. And that's been my, my goal in all my teachings is to stay true to the original tradition, but make it more accessible for the non-yogi, the non right? There's the yogis who are the hippies and sort of you know, loving and lost in the yoga tradition. But what about the rest of us? What about the normal people who aren't necessarily 
that comfortable. They might feel it's a bit cultish. And so let's let's be scientific about it. Let's be logical about it. Let's make it more accessible and approachable. This isn't a religion. This isn't a cult. This is just a, a very sophisticated system for human development that is from ancient times but has a lot of relevance for today's time. And it doesn't subvert your religious beliefs. It doesn't subvert anything, actually. It sort of it helps enhance whatever it is your choices and your uh, beliefs are in life. Thank you so much for mentioning that. I absolutely understand and completely agree with that because it does. It enhances every aspect of your life if we're not, like you said, mutating it into something that it's not. And I do completely agree that it, you know, yoga is not necessarily just a set of asanas or a thing, you know, a sequence that you should do. It is way more than that. What are some of the things that that, that you personally struggle with? Well, it's interesting you bring that up. Um, you know, many of these teachings were secret teachings in the olden days, right? Originally, Vedic astrology was a very secret tradition that was only shared from, from teacher to student in a very uh, selective way. It wasn't accessible to everybody. And I think the reason is, is as you practice yoga, as you practice meditation, even if you get deeper into Vedic astrology, you start to develop, I mean, for lack of a better word, they're called they're superpowers. The, the word is siddhi. Siddhi is like this extraordinary ability that starts to cultivate and come out of that. And people start to use these extraordinary powers for the wrong purpose. And so that becomes very dangerous is that, um, you know, how many stories have there been of yoga teachers that have abused their position and they've sort of been able to manipulate people and sort of take advantage of them. And it's sort of this, this whole disciple-guru relationship that becomes very, very perverted very twisted in, in, in many, many cases. And even with astrology, I see that in, in, in India, you go to a jeweler and they always have an astrologer and the astrologer looks at your chart and says, oh my gosh, you're going to have this big calamity, but I can save it for you. Buy this jewel for me and you won't have that bad thing happen. And you're sort of, you know, like hypnotized into this crazy expensive purchase. I've had clients come to me and say, oh, this uh, astrologer told me this bad thing was going to happen and if I paid him extra money, he would do a mantra for me and the problem would go away. Is that really the case? And I would be like, oh, God, here we go again, right? And so I think it's important that as a practitioner of yoga that you never give up your own internal power, that you always respect that the ultimate guru is inside of you. The ultimate teacher is inside of you. And so no matter what teacher you go to, no matter who you're studying with, that you never let them usurp the position of the ultimate guru that's inside of you. And so you make choices that are right for you. And I think that's one thing that I struggle with when I've seen people just sort of fall like almost in a hypnotic way for some teacher. And they're sort of given up the responsibility for their own journey. Your journey is your journey. Your life is your life. You're responsible for it. You make those choices and you never give that power up to anybody. No matter how smart a teacher they are, know how brilliant they are, no matter what a great, you know, it might be an astrologer that you're sitting in front of or a yoga teacher, you never give up your power to them. You are ultimately the one who has the most wisdom for your journey. These people are facilitators. You know, I serve as a coach. My role is to be a servant to your inner teacher. My role is to be subservient to your inner teacher, not to take that away from you. And as you know, in any athletic situation, the coach doesn't throw the ball. You throw the ball. The coach recognizes the potential in you 
and helps you connect to that great potential, but they're always subservient to your own potential. That is so absolutely true. We have the ability to do insurmountable things within ourselves, and we have the ability to heal and to grow and to bloom into whatever we are. <clears throat> I completely agree with you, and I'm I'm going to. I know that we're. I'm trying to be mindful of time. I know that you're um, needing to head out, so I'm going to cut us short here. And I want to just ask one last question: Where can we find your book? Where can we find you? And how can our listeners reach out to you? Well, thank you for that question. I'm I'm so enamored with the Vedic teachings and all these things. I sometimes forget to say, yeah, wait, I have a business too. And I'm also trying to get out there and I want to expose and spread these uh, insights to the world. So the book is called The Business Casual Yogi and it's available on Amazon um, or any bookseller, Barnes & Noble, um, you know, lots of independent bookstores carry it as well. But you can look up The Business Casual Yogi on, on a Google search and you'll come up. There's a businesscasualyogi.com website. Uh, and then, of course, there's links to buy the book on Amazon. And I would love it if people bought the book put reviews about the book on there. Um, Amazon has this thing where if you have more reviews, obviously it gets promoted more, and I have been pushing for that, but it'd be good uh, to have some more reviews on it. My business is called is called Head and Heart Insights, and that's my coaching business, and I offer executive and life coaching. I also do Vedic astrology readings, and my website, headandheartinsights.com, lists the services I offer and the prices for those services. I've also launched what's called a Business Casual Yogi Coaching Program, where I do an Ayurvedic assessment, I do you know sort of a full life analysis of what's going on in your life, I do an astrology reading, then I help you with understanding a custom yoga routine for your particular stage in your body and your, your lifestyle and your knowledge of yoga, develop a custom breathwork routine, a mantra routine, and all these different things sort of packaged together. So I combine the Vedic wisdom into one sort of 14-session transformational package. I'm also on Instagram as The Business Casual Yogi, and I'm on Facebook, uh, The Business Casual Yogi Facebook page. And on those, I post all sorts of stuff, Some sometimes Vedic astrology-related uh, predictions on what's happening in the U.S. with our you know coronavirus situation and what's happening around the world. I post bits of Vedic wisdom, yoga techniques, breathing techniques, so lots of freebie stuff that I just post out there. So... Uh, would appreciate it if you follow me, if you, uh, you know, whether like the Facebook page or follow on Instagram, it would be great. And uh, I'm always, you know, available to, to talk to people if they want to learn more about what I do. Well, Rish, I want to thank you so very much for being open and honest and sharing your beauty and sharing who you are and what you do and these wonderful, amazing teachings. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your effort, and we're going to sign off now. Everybody have a blessed day. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for this opportunity to share. really appreciate uh, being invited to your show. Thank you. Okay, I'm stopping. The Bella Life, where health and wellness starts with you.